Welcome to Warbirds Radio Down Under. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. And is that I, what we're calling it, Dave? I just want to jump right in here. We, you're sure I, of that? I think we are because I can't. Warbird be... Radio Down Under, not the Dave Homewood Report with Grant McHerring. Or, <laughs> I, I well, it, this has been a dilemma for weeks since I realized that we're no longer live. But I'm coming back to Warbird Radio, and there you go. Well, hey, yeah. I'm glad you're back. I really am. That's yeah, fun. Yeah, and, and with the Down Under, we can cover New Zealand stories and Australian stories, and maybe a few other countries as well. So, um, so no joke. I ran into Grant McHeron at a bar uh, down there in Gold Coast during the Pacific Air Show. All right, and uh, Grant and his lovely wife, and I, and I think that would be a good thing if you got Grant back on. Well, Grant's coming back. He's keen. So, uh, we really, be, well, yeah, there you we, go. The yeah. done deal. All right. Warbird yep. radio down under. I like it. That'll be fun. Fantastic. So we're back and, uh, we're going to be on every now and then, maybe once a month. We're not exactly sure yet, but we'll bring, well, the money is so good, Dave. I mean, come on, now. you know, <laughs> I mean, Oh, and the prestige, <laughs> don't forget the prestige, right. the prestige. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to get lots of exposure out of this. You know, that nearly killed Shackleton. And uh, that's about it. That's about all you get here. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're hoping we might get another one of those Ed Morrow awards that you get normally. Yeah, that's year, right. So. Well, you know what? We'll see. You, yeah. you just never know. So what, what are you going to be covering? Because there's so much going on down under. I mean, there really is a lot going on. Well, there is. Uh, there's. You know, always interesting warbird restorations going on down here. Uh, just last week, I went to Auckland and uh, was having a look at the mosquito that's been restored at Aspex, which is the fourth one that they're going to get flying. Uh, and also uh, took a look at the P40 that's at Pioneer Aero, um, which has been done for uh, uh, a Dutch um, group. It'll be going to Holland when it's finished. Uh, and Jerry Yagen's... Uh, SBD Dauntless as well and in, in their workshop. And um yeah, there's there's lots of things going on around the country at the moment. Um we've just had the Corsair fly again. Um New Zealand has one Corsair, it's been sitting in a shed for six years and it just flew again this past week. So that's back on back on the well, we'll be back on the air show circuit very soon. It's got going for maintenance now with a new owner and it's staying in New Zealand. So that's fantastic because it's been for sale for a wee while um we've got big air shows coming up i mean there's going to be all sorts of things on the show uh and lots of stuff that grant will pick up in australia too with the warbird fraternity around australia that'll be great you know i enjoyed watching the uh the fw 190 i enjoyed oh, right. the p40 and yep. i enjoyed the p51 they did a great job cursing that entire team that was down there uh precision air motive they always have something going on yeah yeah down there great bunch yeah, great yeah. Well, a lot of fun down there and uh, just a wonderful group of folks uh, who are so interested in caring and perpetuating vintage military aviation. And I, I still think it's one of the greatest stories on earth uh, to tell the stories of these fine folks who not only built them, but flew them. And uh, the folks today who are keeping them flying, as everyone likes to say. So I'm glad to have you back, Dave. It's going to be fun. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, I'm glad that you're back. I'm, I'm glad that you're back on air and Warbird Radio is uh, all going. And, and, and that's what I've been Well, listening. I've told the story. I mean, you remember the story as it happened. Yeah. Uh, but just for your audience briefly, what did happen was that 
we had been with the same hosting company for over a decade. Literally in the middle of the night, they shut down and nobody knew. Right. And then we we slowly uncovered that the original owners had sold out to a guy from uh, the Middle East who ran up $9 million in debt. There was a court case. He fled the country in the middle of the night. Wow. And all of the creditors showed up and shut everything down. And so, <laughs> you know, the, the issue was that the issue was that we, you know, we sure we had the shows and we had all of the data. We had the site back up, you know, and all that kind of stuff ready to go. But the issue was that if we relaunched the site, we would still have to relink everything. And there's 657 episodes of Warbird Radio Live. There's another couple of hundred shows of everything else. Yeah. Uh, in addition to all of the special features and stuff like that that we did. Yeah. So this was a, a, a massive, massive task. And so what we've been doing, we shut down, we got all of the stuff, we got all of our stuff sort of back in order. And we waited. We waited until it was the right time to uh, to relaunch. And I say we because there's a lot of folks that are involved in this. Uh, and and everybody's ready to go. And so we found a great uh, new hosting company, uh, again, U.S.-based, but uh, that's a little bit larger, that has some fancier tools. You know, we started doing this before anybody knew what a podcast was. Right? Yeah. I mean, like we said, yeah. it's a recorded show. Yeah. <laughs> nobody knew what it was 13 years ago. I mean, really knew what it was. Yeah, exactly. So all of this is, is there. Everything is here. And a lot of you you know, have been asking, like, when are all the old shows going to come back? Well, we're going to make some of your Wings Over New Zealand shows, the stuff that makes sense. Uh, we'll pull those so you can re-release those on your feed because the name's going to change to what is it now? Warbird, Warbird Radio, Radio, down, Radio under. down Under. There you go. All right. Yeah. So we have the Texas Warbird Report coming back with Zane. We'll have the Down Under show with you and Grant. This is going to be a lot of fun, and that's the, that's the name of the game. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's hopefully – are going to bring a voice to some folks who don't always have a voice. And that's the most important part of this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, today's show that we will be bringing in just a few minutes is uh, an Australian story uh, with my good friend, John Parker, who is based in Scone in uh, New South Wales. And he's going to tell us about a Spitfire that's on its way to Australia. So it's a really good story. You got any of those ones that are buried in crates? Have you found those yet? Yeah, it's no. been a hot minute since we've had that on. I, we need to do that again. <laughs> Time to go dig up the conspiracy reports. Let's go get them. This will be great. Well, you get on that, man. <laughs> I will. I'm going to go hunt down Bigfoot in my backyard for a few minutes. But you guys enjoy the show. I think you've got more chance of finding Bigfoot than you have of uh, finding those Spitfires. <laughs> <laughs> you, might see, you might see Bigfoot fly past at a Spitfire. Who knows? There you go. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for helping me introduce this and bring back the show. And yeah, I just uh, wish you well with the network from here on in. Thanks, Dave. Looking forward to it. Cheers. Well, I want to welcome John Parker to the show. Hi, John. Hi, how are you, Dave? Great, great. And you're from the Hunter Fighter Collection at Scone in New South Wales. That's correct, yes. I'm the public officer of, and I'm on the board of Hunter Fighter Collection. Yep. We're a registered not-for-profit in Australia. Um, we've got tax deductibility status with the 
Australian tax office. So yes, we're a registered charity over here. Right, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about the collection soon. But uh, the main focus today is a particular Spitfire, which is Pat Hughes's Mark One A Spitfire. Um, can you give me a little bit of background on Pat Hughes to start with? So Pat Hughes was Australia's highest scoring Battle of Britain ace. Um, he scored a total of 17 or 18 kills, depending on which story you believe. Yep. Um, he flew up until the uh, 7th of September in 1940 when he was uh, involved in an incident attacking a Dornier 17, which he shot down. Um, because they were using 303s in the Mark 1A Spitfires, the pilots tended to get too close to the aircraft they were attacking, so it blew up and... The theory is, and nobody knows for sure, the theory is he collided with the wreckage of the Dornier. He bailed out, but unfortunately his parachute didn't work. So um, he was killed in the subsequent landing. Okay. Now, Pat had been in the RF since before the war, hadn't he? Yeah, Pat um, was that before the war. He started in the RAAF at um, Point Cook as a cadet and gained his wings there. Then in 1937, he decided to enlist in the RAF in England, and yep. he joined the RAF over there. And he was actually an RAF um, member during yep. the Battle of Britain. Yep. But he always wore his Australian uniform, as a lot of Australians that fought in the Battle of Britain did. Okay. Um, Pat was one of 25 Australians that have the Battle of Britain clasp on their uh, medals. Yep. So, uh, yeah, very significant pilot. He's Australia's third highest ace, and he's the highest scoring ace from the Battle of Britain. Was he flying Spitfires before the war started? or No, he started flying them about the time the war started. So okay. before that, he'd flown Hawker Demons, Westland Wapities, and I think the last aircraft he flew before he started on Spitfires was um, Blenheim Mark One fighters. Okay, wow. Right. So he he really didn't have a, a huge amount of time to get, you know, become a master of the Spitfire. So to amass that many kills in such a short amount of time in the battle, uh, that's that's quite impressive. Yes, he was a very gifted pilot by all accounts. He was very highly regarded by um, all of the pilots within the squadron, um, had good friendships, good relationships with them. Um during the Battle of Britain, he was very much one of the predominant leaders within the squadron, and um, he was very highly regarded and well looked up to by the uh, other members. And he was only 22 when he died, wasn't he? Yeah, he was about to turn 23, and he'd just been married for six weeks before he was killed. Oh, so wow. it's a very tragic story, but then again, a lot of the Battle of Britain pilots have tragic stories. It was yeah. uh, He was a very brave man. But at 22, even at the time he was he died, there were signs of stress um, in because of the operational requirements and conditions that he was serving under. He was starting to to look like um, he really needed a rest. But of course, nobody got a rest because the Battle of Britain was on. So yeah. who knows what the what the pressure on him caused him in terms of the incident when he was killed. But we'll never know that. Yeah, I, I was looking at a photograph of him. In fact, there were two photos I found online. One was before the war, and he looked like a youngster, almost a kid. 
uh, in his RF uniform. And the other was when he was 22, I guess. And he, God, he looked like he was about 35. Yeah, well, I've, I, uh, I'm looking at the photo as we're speaking, and to me, he looks like your average 35 year old with a few worries. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah sure he does. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you, yeah, that's the thing. We we call them the boys, but those those guys went through so much in a, such a short amount of time. But certainly, Asian, yeah. So, well, for various reasons that we don't need to go into, he'd taken over quite a. Uh, major leadership role in the squadron at the time. Yeah. And I think that pressure was weighing on him heavily as well as his operational uh, flying. So, right. so yeah, he does look like a man with a, a lot of pressure. Yeah. So he took over this particular Spitfire, which is, uh, what's the number? X... X4009. It was a Mark 1A. Yep. He it took it over built... and he was the only one that flew it. That's correct. So the, the aircraft was manufactured at the Eastleigh plant, not Castle Bromwich. It was manufactured there. Yep. Its first flight was on the 24th of July, 1940. Then it went to number 37 maintenance unit um, and it was allocated to uh, 234 Squadron. Yep. Um, and that was on the 18th of August, 1940. And Pat Hughes took it when it arrived as his aircraft. Yep. And he was the only person, I've got all the squadron records, he was the only person that ever flew it operationally. Okay. Where, where was 234 based at that time? Um, it was all over, actually. It had been over in, on the um, Cornwall side of England, and but it was more based in Kent at the time, Okay. Um, yep. at various places there. Mm. Okay. And um, you mentioned that in the short time that he had it, well, it was only about a month, um, it was less than a month, um, yeah. so it was operational from the 18th of August, and then he was killed in it on the 7th of September, and during that time, he scored 10 or 11 kills, depending on who you believe. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that's he had a total of 17 or 18 kills, as I said, so yeah. the, the the large balance of the, of the uh, victories that he scored were in this aircraft. Okay, wow. So that is an absolutely significant aircraft in terms of survivors of uh, of the Battle of Britain and probably of World War Two to have that many kills in the one aircraft. I, I can't yeah. think of any I, others. I don't, I don't know of many Spitfires that are surviving that have that many kills, and I certainly don't know of um, of any Australians that flew one with more victories than that. Yeah, yeah. And, and tell me about how this aircraft survived. Obviously, he bailed out. You mentioned and and it crashed. How how is it still around now? So it stayed in the ground where it crashed in Kent for um, about twenty eight years. It was recovered in nineteen sixty eight by a university professor who was an archaeologist. Yep, he retained the wreck for quite some time. Um, upon his uh, demise, and uh, the family sold off most of his collection of memorabilia and aircraft. About 400 kilos of the aircraft remained, the wreck itself, and yep. that was sold at auction in 2018. Yeah. Um, at that auction, it was sold to Ross and Anne-Marie Pay from Stone, yep. and they chose to donate it to the Hunter Fighter Collection. So that's that's how it survived. Um, the wreckage is currently on its way to Australia. Um, you can never get it out of the UK custom system. Um <laughs> We anticipate that'll arrive well before the end of the year. Okay. Um, 
the rebuild's already co commenced in the UK with various components being built there. Right. So uh, Ross's company is going to rebuild it, um, Vintage? Yeah, Vintage Fighter Restorations are in charge of the rebuild with their contracted Hunter Fighter collection. Yep. And they work through subcontractors such as Airframe Assemblies in the UK who are ah, building yes. most of the fuselage components. Okay, okay, interesting. Yep. Um, and do you have an estimate of how much of the original aircraft will be in the finished? Uh... Um, well, obviously, given that it impacted quite hard from high altitude, uh, we we don't actually know for sure, Dave. Um yeah. We're, we're doing our very best to salvage as much of it as possible. So things like the rudder pedals, the chi gas starter, the cockpit door, believe it or not, survived. Um, right. There's quite quite a few components and castings and that sort of thing. But um, no, it won't be a substantial amount of the wreck will be included, but it, it will be enough to give it the provenance it needs. Right, right, right. And... and uh... I guess being a, a fairly early mark, I mean, a very early mark of Spitfire, it's going to be difficult to find parts to put yeah, in. Yeah, although we've been very lucky with a lot of benefactors. For instance, um, we have a, um, a guy in Queensland who had quite a lot of early model Spitfire parts that he's donated to the project. Okay. Um, we Because of the nature of um, vintage fighter restorations at Skane, they have quite a holding of Spitfire parts from early to late model aircraft, so they've been able to contribute. We've also found some parts in the UK that we needed. Um, because a lot of Mark V Spitfires flew in Australia, there's quite a bit of con commonality from Mark One to Mark V. They're right, both, of course. They're both short noses and that sort of thing. So we, one way and another, we will get a considerable amount of original new old stock items and, and used and restored items. For instance, the undercarriage assembly, believe it or not, we found a pair of overhauled undercarriage legs in Queensland which were donated to the project. Now, anyone that knows anything about Spitfires knows that if you can get a, a pristine set of early uh, Mark I Spitfire undercarriage, yeah, that's sort of um, almost unheard of. So that was just one lucky thing that we had happen. Yeah, um, very lucky. But we've also, quite a lot of the internal cockpit fit out came with um, the donation of all the parts from Queensland. So we've been very lucky. Um, I'm not saying that we won't have trouble. We will have trouble because Mark 1A Spitfires aren't very common and the wreckage from them isn't very common. So, yes, you do have those issues. Yeah, but we will. We will work through all that. And we're very lucky that we've got a team at SCAN that know what they're doing in terms of sourcing all of that. Absolutely, yeah, of course. And, and they have recently completed a number of Spitfires, haven't they? Uh, yeah, so three three Spitfires have gone through VFR, so that's the Mark 8 that flies down at Tamora with yep. 100 Squadron. That was the pay Spitfire. Yep. Um, we've recently completed, well, we, when I say we, VFR have recently completed two um, Mark 9 Spitfires, MH415 and MH603. 415 um, will be auctioned in the UK next week, funnily enough. And right. MH603 is currently resident in our um, collection at Scone. So, yeah. Great. So, yes, I've got a lot of – the answer is I've got a lot of experience. Yep. And as I've said before, 
we have BFR have two Mark V crop Spitfires that served in Darwin in the Defence of Australia in rebuild at the moment. One very yep. famous one flown by uh, an RAF pilot, Gibbs, in uh, in Darwin, and he scored seven kills in that aeroplane. So that's being restored to fly. Wow. There's another another one, another Mark V crop there. We've got a two-seat Spitfire under construction at the moment that will probably be completed next year. That is BS-548, which is a Mark IX that crashed in uh, Belgium. Yep. Um, and uh, obviously we have the Mark I. So there's four Spitfires under construction at the moment through BFR. Wow, that's incredible. The, I, two, I Mark, the two Mark Vs and the two-seater, as well as our Mark I, will all stay in Australia. Okay. Right. Well, that's that's uh, that's fascinating, and of course, um, you're looking after other aircraft in the collection too. Do you want to talk about them? Yeah. So, Hunter Fighter Collection is, as I said, is a not-for-profit. So, we're the curator of Hunter Warbirds. It's a joint cooperative arrangement between ourselves and the Upper Hunter Shire Council that owns the facility. Yeah. We we look after the curation of the collection. So we look after all the aircraft and we look after all the artifacts in the collection. So at the moment, we've got 25 aircraft in the hangar, but it's growing up by the day. So we have things starting with a, a replica Bristol fighter that flies. That's People might remember that from its early days in New Zealand. It's oh, yes. First Bristol fighter that flew in New Zealand had a a career over there and then came to Australia. Jack McDonald then donated it to Hunter Fighter Collection along with a MiG-17. Okay. So we fly that aircraft. It's maintained in airworthy condition. It goes to air shows. It does all that sort of stuff. So it's there. We've got a Tiger Moth. We've got a DH-60 Moth. Yep. We've got a Windjill. We've got a Weir Away. Um, yep. We've got a Kitty Hawk P-40. Uh, we've got uh, two Mustangs. We've got a, a CAC-built Mustang and we've got a um, North American P-51D that we just uh, received from the UK. Yep. We've got a Vampire single-seater from the UK, which is on its way. We've had very, very good cooperation from the RAF Museum and the donation of those two aircraft. Fantastic. Um, we've got the Spitfire, as I said, and the Mark 9 Spitfire. We've got a Mackie. A Mirage, a Hunter, um, the MiG-17, as I said. Yep. We've got um, a Boeing Stearman. And we've got a T-6 Harvard. They're just some of the aircraft. Most of the aircraft fly. The jets obviously don't fly. Yeah. We've also got a Strike Master, which does fly. Okay. That's online from another gentleman. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty comprehensive collection. Sure so is. the theme of the collection is fighters and trainers of the RAAF as well as adversary aircraft. So that's why we've got the MiG-17. It's in a North Vietnamese colour scheme yeah. to represent adversaries of um, Australian New Zealand pilots. There's okay. quite an interesting tie-up with our P-51D that we just received from the RAF Museum. It's in the colour scheme of a New Zealand, the only New Zealand pilot to fly with the 8th Air Force. And that's uh, Jack Cleland, yep. who was a, quite a successful pilot. He flew with the RAF and then trans, uh, then was uh, seconded to the US Air Force, so Army Air Force. 
and uh, that aircraft is in beautiful condition. It's um, despite was what was said about it online, it's actually been surveyed now. It's in quite good condition. So we're oh, very really? proud. Okay. Yeah, we're very proud of that. In the future, Excellent. it might be decided to get that flying. So very, very proud of that aeroplane. It's quite a good thing. Well, that's um, great. Yep. And of course, uh, Jack Cleland actually flew as wingman with Chuck Yeager at one point too, didn't he? He did indeed, yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, originally the plan was to put that in three squadron colours, three squadron RAF Italy uh, colours during the yep. Second World War. But we've yep. decided now for the foreseeable future it will stay in Jack's colour scheme. Um, we were very lucky actually on, yeah, we got the aircraft a little earlier because of the way the the freight worked on it, yep. and it was able to be assembled and put together for Anzac Day this year, which was fantastic. And Jack Clellan's daughter actually lives in Newcastle, just south of where we are. Right. And she didn't know the aircraft was here, and they'd been planning for decades to go to the UK and have a look at it. Wow. And her, and her son-in-law got in touch with us, and he brought her up on Anzac Day. And she was so touched to actually see the aircraft. So she came up and we actually got her to sit up in the cockpit and have a have a good look at it. And she's been fantastic ever since with recounting stories about her father and all his service. So, uh, yeah, we've been very happy and very very lucky to get that aeroplane. That's brilliant. Well, well done on that. Yeah. Uh, does she have his logbook or anything like that? Um, yes. So all of those, a lot of those items are stored in New Zealand and will be coming over and going on display. Some okay. of the items will stay in New Zealand because we feel they're more historic and she feels they're more historic and should stay over there. Yep. yep. So we'll be copying the items that we don't want to bring over. But a lot of these um, service items will be coming over and going on display next to the aircraft. Fantastic. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's great. It's uh, It's good to to know that there's that Kiwi connection is going to stay with that Mustang because, you know, I remember seeing it in those colours when it was in Hendon back in the old days and then it went to yes. the world, didn't it? For it yeah, well, I mean, there was a lot of um, sort of adverse criticism of the airframe and everything, but it's um, as it's turned out, it's actually quite a good airplane. So we're very proud to have it. It's a great thing. Excellent. Um, we had a lot of um, XRAAF volunteers in our team. And they were all wowed by the condition of it when we unpacked it and put it together. Oh, that's great. So, um, obviously, you're a museum that's open to the public and people can come and view all these aircraft? Yes, we're open seven days a week. Only closed two days, Christmas Day and uh, Easter. So, um, all the rest of the time we're open. Um, it's uh, from Wednesday to Sunday, there's a cafe there. People can come and have a look at the aircraft and then have a really nice meal in the, in the cafe. Yep. Um, it's not that far from Sydney or certainly not that far from Newcastle either. So it just takes a, you can get there by train, you can get there by car. By car, it's about three hours from Sydney, which isn't yep. too bad. Yep. And it's a lovely part of the world. Vineyards and horse racing and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, good place to visit. Excellent. Um, now, there's something else I need to ask you about too, is I have seen on your uh, Facebook page, there's a fuselage being constructed for like a mobile display. What? Tell me about that. Right. So 
the task of, which we haven't talked about, I suppose, the task of rebuilding the Spitfire doesn't come cheaply for a not-for-profit. So yeah. we have to think about fundraising activities. We've been lucky that we've had probably two or $300,000 in grants and donations. But one of the things that we are doing in terms of um, fundraising is we're going to have a mobile display. So about 30 years ago, 20 to 30 years ago up in uh, Queensland, a fuselage of a Mark V Spitfire was reconstructed and that was going to be placed in a, a museum in Queensland. Yeah. However, the project died shortly after they finished building the basic structural construction of the aircraft and it went into storage. So I was aware of that because I'd used to live in Queensland. I know I'd actually seen the fuselage frame. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we thought about the possibility of um, following up on that and seeing if it would could be obtained. So we, we went through one of the the um, original constructors of that. The, one of the supervisors was a fellow called Bill Martin, who's quite famous in Australia as a collector of aircraft memorabilia, mainly from Oakey and the uh, the scrapyards that were there after the war. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, the long and the short of it was that Bill actually had the frame sitting in his garage. Okay. So we negotiated with the owners of the frame and they were more than happy to let us have the frame. So the, the frame was transported about six months ago down to Scone and yeah. we'll have that uh, in perpetuity. Okay. What we've decided to do with the frame is make it a travelling exhibit to raise the profile of Pat Hughes and raise the profile of the project for the Spitfire restoration. So because it's a, an early model Spitfire frame, we're going to initially complete it as X4009 in the markings of X4009 and build it as a Mark I. Okay, yep. So what we're going to do is with the frame came a host of parts so we can fit out the aircraft as if it was an operational aircraft. So what we're going to do is completely clad one side of it, put it in the markings of Pat Hughes Spitfire. Yeah. On the other side, we're going to leave it without skin so that it will sit on a car trailer and go to air shows and people will be able to see the internal construction of a Spitfire. Okay. So it's, it's a unique way of doing it. I've not seen one like this before. So... I think we're about two-thirds of the way through getting it ready. Its yep. first air show will be in November in um, at RAAF Base Williamtown. They're having yes. a, a day there for um, an air show that's held the day before, and then they're having a static day on, in November, so we're taking it down there for that. Okay. So it'll be quite a dramatic exhibition. It'll, as I said, it'll be in Pat's colour scheme, so it'll look, it'll certainly look the part. That's a fantastic idea, John, and I can actually imagine you could go to the air shows and big events, but along the way, because Australia's a huge country and you've got a lot of, lot of driving to do, I guess, um, between those places, you could stop at other towns and just park up somewhere and, you know, just raise awareness by, you know, parking in a main street. <laughs> if you could, you know, Absolutely, and that's the intention, and we'll yeah. we take it to Anzac Day ceremonies mm. uh, service ceremonies for RAAF people. We'll be taking it to air shows all across New South Wales. Um, 
But yes, it'll be a very significant thing. When it's when it's not touring, it'll be on display in the Hunter Warbirds hangar. We'll yes. be having all the wreckage of Pat Spitfire alongside it um, and some other uh, uniforms and whatever from the Battle of Britain. So we're, we're making quite an effort to uh, make a formal display within the museum as well as having the travelling e exhibit. Excellent, excellent. Does your museum, uh, like a lot of museums, have you got an archive? Have you started collecting, uh, you know, log books and, and books and well, all sorts of documents? Have, but most of that is currently not on display. Um, yep. The reason for that is that we want, we're only a year old. It's it's only been a little over a year since we opened the museum. It's a, it's a huge museum, as you can imagine, with 20 yeah. aircraft in there. Yeah. Um, it's... 100 metres by 80 metres, that's the size of the hangar. Wow. Um, as a result of that and with other aircraft coming in, for instance, we've got a vampire, a sabre and other aircraft coming in and the future projects. And um, we are now in the throes of building a Bellman hangar okay. on the airfield. That will be both a workshop for us to work on our projects, but we'll also uh, house the archives. Okay. And also house the overflow aircraft from the museum itself. So mm -hmm. that's an exciting project that we we've already purchased a hangar. So we're just going down the process at the moment. Again, we're very lucky that the Upper Hunter Shire Council's helped us there, and um, we were trying to grant for that hangar. So that's an exciting project for the next eighteen months. So when that happens, the the long, the short answer is we will be having an archive on on display and accessible by the public. Excellent, excellent. And, and what about air shows? What, where's the collection going to be turning up over the next, over the summer season? Right, so um, we have the air show that's going to be held at Williamtown. Um, so that, that will be flying aircraft over the top of Newcastle Harbour in November. Um, and then uh, the next day is a static air show. Okay. Then the plans for the rest of the year are still a bit, um, confidential because we haven't yet committed to a couple of those but as from next year we'll be opening up to a lot more air shows so we'll be at Wings over in Lawara. we'll be at the Central Coast air show we're having our own air show in Scone um, which is very historic because Scone was the very first warbird show in Australia 40 years ago next year wow. so that was Cole Pay's first air show, but it was also the first time warbirds flew in Australia as warbirds at an air show. Okay. So very, very historic and memorable air show. I was actually there, so I remember it well. That's fantastic. Um, so that's scheduled for next year, but there's a number of other air shows across New South Wales, particularly with things like the Bristol Fighter. We don't take it too far away because of obviously it's not a lot of fun to fly long distances in, but Ross Pays, Spitfire, Mustang, Kitty Hawk, they all go away long distances. One of the other board, board members is Paul Bennett, so we fly his Avenger, his Wirraway, his Trojan and other aircraft. Yeah. Um, the Stearman and the Harvard fly at air shows quite a lot. So, yeah, it's a fairly active uh, flying museum that we've got, and uh, we, we do like to participate in as many events as possible. Excellent. Um, up the Hunter Warbirds um, Museum themselves, run by the council, also uh, do do put on events. 
and um, we'll be participating in those as well. So that's things like flying days and that sort of thing. So, yeah, very active place, game. Um, a lot of the warbirds, it's like a bit like some of the New Zealand collections, a lot of the warbirds are also available for leisure flights. So you often turn up at Scone and suddenly the hangar door opens and the Harvard or the Wirraway or the Windjill comes out and it goes for a few flights with some paying um, visitors. Yep. So it's, uh, it's, quite, it's quite a humming little place. It's not a dead tombstone museum, as I call them, where all the aircraft are just parked and that's it. Um, well over half the collection flies. Well, that's fantastic. That that's a, I mean, it honestly sounds like a place I've got to visit one day. I I really do. Well, as always, Dave, you're more than welcome. Thank you. <laughs> if I if I was flying from Auckland, where would I fly into to get to? Um, it's possible to fly into Newcastle, but okay. I live in Sydney and I go up. So you, you're you're always welcome. Cheers. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you want to uh, mention uh, while we're talking well i guess while while we've got people's attention um if people go in on uh, the pat Hughes spitfire or hunter fighter collection or warbirds online we have an extensive online uh, presence on all those both on the websites and also on facebook as you would probably know yes yep um i would encourage people to donate it's a very safe process. Um, the IT behind all of that is extremely secure and safe. So people can donate with confidence that it's going to a registered charity. We're audited and all that sort of process, and we're overseen by the Australian Taxation Department. So if you donate to, to the Pat Hughes Spitfire or the Hunter Fighter Collection, your money will be well spent and well used. So I would encourage people to do that. And... Um, We'd like to thank you for the support that we've had over the time we've been operating, and I guess we'll continue to do that as far as possible. So if people just look out and go go into that. That would be quite a uh, a good thing to do, in my opinion. And if you're an Australian citizen, as I said, it's tax deductible. So any money that you contribute, you get 100% return on that, subject to your going and seeing your accountant if, you, if it's a significant amount of money. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Also, we um, we form partnerships with REC watches in the UK in Denmark. Okay. And they they've made a very high quality watch using some of the extremely smashed skin from around the rear of the fuselage on the Spitfire. Yeah. And uh, those watches are for sale uh, through REC watches. If you go online, have a look at that. And we've also got a line of um, other merchandise, particularly shoes. We've got Pat Hughes's Spitfire shoes and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, some of it sounds a bit strange, but it, so everything that people contribute contributes to the rebuilding of the Spitfire. So as you can imagine, it's some millions of dollars we've got to expend here, so we need, need to raise every dollar we can. So uh, I'd urge anyone listening to this to go and have a look and um, uh, contribute. If they can, every every dollar helps. Brilliant, excellent. The only last question that I've got, John, is you did mention that the museum has a really good cafe, and can you get a scone at Scone? You certainly can get a scone at Scone, and you can get <laughs> things like it's uh, it's themed um, after the Kitty Hawk, so it's Kitty Hawk Cafe. Okay. So on the walls, all there are all the profiles of all of the Australian 
uh, Kitty Hawk's squadrons. Um, there's also a New Zealand Kitty Hawk on the wall. It'd have to be. Um, well, it's a New Zealand Kitty Hawk in the collection, isn't it? Yeah, there certainly is. And uh, um, it's uh, it's quite a nice aeroplane. I'm, I'm very sorry that it's not a New Zealand colour scheme, but the one that's in is pretty significant. So yeah. It is, yes, but yes, it does, I must admit, does have New Zealand connotations and connections. So, yeah. I think that particular one started with the RAAF and then went to the US Army Air Force and then to us, I think, wasn't it? There's something that's pretty that's pretty much the story, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it's a, it's an international allied Kitty Hawk. <laughs> yeah. And again, another one built in Scone. So that was built from the ground yeah. up in Scone. So yeah. again, you know, another wonderful achievement. Ross has actually done two Kitty Hawks. Three Mustangs and three Spitfires so far, so it's quite a place to see coming. Yeah, that's a good record, very good record. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks very much, John. It's a, it's a pleasure catching up again. Um, we've known each other for decades now, I think, and um, yes, it's always yeah. always a pleasure. Yeah, well, I um, I just would encourage everyone to get, to uh, get behind us. We're we're certainly going. We're here for the duration. So, anything that anyone can do to help. Um, get this Spitfire flying again will will certainly be much appreciated. So thanks for your time, Dave. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. And we'll put all the links into the show notes as well. Okay. Thank you. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye, Dave. See ya. This is Radio.